Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27. You remember that chapters 24, 25, and 26 were sort of a unit, and we saw um, David uh, David being tested, David being driven into the wilderness by, um, by Saul, and then we went through the passage that um, David was tested with Nabal and Abigail um, runs interference, and then again... David goes into the camp of Saul and uh, takes a spear and a jug of water and uh, goes out of the camp and then calls to him. And that, you remember, is the last time that David and Saul would speak uh, to one another um, before Saul's death. And then we come to 1 Samuel 27, and uh, David is, in a sense, pushed further into the wilderness. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is... 1 Samuel chapter 27, this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, let me Let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there, for why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For they were inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive. And he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jeremielites and against the Negev of the Kenites. David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, Otherwise they will tell about us, saying, So has David done, and so has his practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious among his people, Israel. Therefore he will become my servant forever. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So just before our passage, just before this, 
Saul and David had been communicating to one another. And, and um, David, or Saul had said to David, verse 25 of the previous chapter, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Seems as if Saul is giving him all kinds of assurances that, uh, that he's not going to be on his tail, that David can now go his way, that David has proved his point. Um, with these two times where he's shown mercy to Saul, and now Saul is sort of releasing him, telling him he's blessed, and using the name, you know, calling him my son David, and saying he's going to accomplish much, and he will win. Um, And then we turn to 27, and David says to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Why this, why this, why David's attitude, um, I mean, had not Saul just given him some level of assurances? Um, But then, you know, it's easy for us to forget the context and to forget the years of strife that have existed between David's household and Saul's household. Would you trust Saul if you were David? Would you trust any assurances coming from the mouth of Saul? No, you probably wouldn't. You probably would not. My staff. Somebody give me some stuff. Thanks, Turn this one on. Turn number eight on. It's a conspiracy. Okay. All right. So back to chapter twenty-seven. My phone's ringing. This is this is crazy. Let's start over. Let's stand for no. <laughs> All right. So so we're we're thinking about this this statement by David. Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. He seems to have had assurances, and yet we, we know that he can't trust he can't trust Saul. And um, would you trust Saul? No. Um, where does David then go? Where does he escape to? He goes to the land of the Philistines, right? The land of the Philistines, um, hostile toward the people of Israel for a long time. These have been the enemies of Israel for a long time. Think back to, um, I mean, we can go back to Genesis. We can go back to Abimelech and Abraham, 
Abimelech was a Philistine, right? Joshua is taking the land from the Philistines. The judges are constantly running up against the Philistines. Samuel, in this book, we've already had many uh, run-ins with the Philistines, right? First Samuel 4, you remember that the Philistines defeat Israel and take the ark out of the land of Israel. And um, Jonathan fought with them, Saul fought with them, Goliath is a Philistine, right? So there's David confronting Goliath and chopping off the head of their greatest enemy, and, and then the, the uh, armies of Israel routing the Philistines. And um, chapter 23, David attacks the Philistines with God's approval, and now he decides to go live among the Philistines. There is nothing better for me to do than to escape into the land of the Philistines. And that's quite a statement, right? That shows you the lack of trust that he has for Saul. That, that the king of Israel is more of an enemy to him than the whole land of the Philistines. The king of Israel is out to get him, and yet he goes... And lives there. He lives among them for one year and four months. And um, again, if you think through, if you think through redemptive history, it's often that the people of God go live among their enemies, right? You even think of Psalm twenty-three that he he places a banquet for us in the midst of our enemies. Um, God God protected Israel in Egypt, right? God protected Israel there. Um, Jesus himself went into Egypt um, and only to return and then uh, serve the people of the Lord, right? And so here is, here's David um, going and living among the enemies of God, and God not only protects him but blesses him in that context, blesses him in the midst of his enemies. And so um, that's the first thing we take away from this. Um, the, um, I mean, he also thinks that there's nothing better for me than to escape in the land of the Philistines. Saul will then despair of searching for me anymore. If I go in all the territory of Israel, I will escape from his hand. He thinks it's the only way to survive is for him to, is for him to leave, is for him to get away from Saul, for him to get in the way, um, even into the midst of his enemies. Um, and uh, so, is this faith or is this a lack of faith? Right? Is this faith or is this a lack of faith? Is it faith that he would go live among his enemies and think that he's safer than uh, with the king of, Isra- of, of Israel? Or is it a lack of faith that he thinks he has to go live in the midst of his enemies that God will not protect him from Saul? Right, um, all of his he he. Um, well, that's a question. Uh, we sort of have to f- f- flow through the rest of the context in order to uh, perhaps come to a conclusion to that question. All of his men go with him. He uh, and and it says David and his two wives. How many wives does David have right now? He's got three. He takes two. What happened with Michael? 
Okay, Michael has been given to somebody else by Saul. Remember that? And so Michael's not with him right now. Michael comes back into the picture down the road when David insists that, that Michael come back to him. Right? But right now, she's living with another husband, with another man um, that King Saul had, um, had given her to. And so, um, so he has two wives with him, Abigail and Ahinoam, and, uh, and they are with him. So it, it's, um, he also he tells his men to settle there. It seems he's, he's worked things out. Um, he's got the permission of the king with, uh, of, of Achish, or King Achish. Um, Saul then gives up his pursuit. Saul gives up his pursuit as he hears that David has gone to live in Gath. Um, from this point on, if you go, if you, if we went forward in history, if we go to like Amos, if we go to Zechariah, if we go to some of the prophets, Gath remains an ally to Israel for the rest of history. Gath remains an ally with Israel. And you, you think that it, it must be because of this time, it must be because of David and Achish and just that relationship having developed. Um, when, when Philistine cities are listed that are condemned by God, Gath is missing at this point. But Gath was a well-known Philistine city. And, uh, and so that, that is not there. And so... Um, it may be that Achish was a convert. And the, the, only, the only thing we have um, to indicate that is if we skip forward to 1 Samuel 29. He, Achish is speaking to David. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army are pleasing in my sight. For I have not find, found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Right? As the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, says this pagan king. So maybe that he's converted. It may be that the favor that he shows toward David springs not just from political allegiance, but it's because he's converted to the same God. Um, and then the whole city comes in. And so... Again, that's, that's um, uh, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, is that just a figure of speech? Uh, probably not for a Philistine, right? Probably not. He's not going to invoke the name of Yahweh. And so it seems that there's, there's something here. Um, and then David is, is wise, right? David stops and, 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 and says, perhaps it's not good for me to live in the same city as the king, as the king of Gath. And so he asked for Ziklag, a city that was, was originally supposed to be Israel's. Ziklag was, was in the land that Joshua was, was supposed to conquer, but was not conquered in Joshua's generation. Now, interestingly, through strange means, it is. David and his men take over the city of Ziklag. So one way or the other, the land, of, the land is going to be conquered by God for his people. Now it is, and, and um, what does David then go and do? 
he takes more land. Right? David then goes in and takes more land, and he's making raids on these cities. Notice that it, it mentions... Notice that it mentions the Amalekites. Verse 8, Now David and his men went up and raided the Gershites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. What's significant about the Amalekites? Saul was supposed to get rid of the Amalekites, wasn't he? Right? Remember back when, when he was commanded to do that? Um, and the... Um, Saul doesn't follow through the commands of the Lord. He, he takes away the, the king of the Amalekites, whose name is escaping me right now. What? Agag. Yeah. How could I forget that? Agag. Um, and uh, it's at that point in, in Saul's disobedience, it's right at that point where God says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. It's at that point where, where God says, this is a disobedient ruler. And so now here, through these strange means, Saul has, has left off his, his calling as king to, to uh, deal with the Amalekites. Here's now David coming through this being in exile with the Philistines and having Ziklag now as a base of operations. And now he's dealing with the Amalekites. And it says he kills the men and women and keeps the livestock. He has no command from God to devote the Amalekites to the ban, as, as Saul had said, had. had. And, um, and so yet he, he destroys them. Now, what's, what's going on with Achish in the second half of this section? What does Achish think that David is doing? Yeah, Achish thinks that David is r- r- taking his men and attacking Israel and Israelites and taking ground for the Philistines. What is David actually doing? The, well, the opposite, yes. He is, he is uh, attacking the, the pagans, right? He's attacking the Philistines. And so he's deceiving Achish. He's deceiving Achish in what he says. Uh, verse 10, uh, now Achish said, Where have you made a raid today? And what do you but notice about David's answer? He doesn't mention people, he mentions places, right? All he does is say, well, we went to the south of, here's where we went. We went to the south of Judah and the south of the Jeremelites and the south of the Kenites. <laughs> but he doesn't mention the people that he's attacking. Um, these are all southern regions of Judah that, that he attacked, and yet it's, it's where Philistines were, were, uh, had taken ground. He, he mentions only the places, but not the people of those the places attacked. He's working for Israel against the Philistines under the protection of the Philistines and the threat of Israel. I mean, think about that. Think about the craziness that God is protecting King David from. He's working for Israel against the Philistines while being protected by the Philistines and afraid of the Israelites. Uh, under the threat of Israel. 
Um, Ziklag is one of those insignificant cities in Scripture. We don't hear much about it from this point, but think, uh, think of the turning point that this is here. Uh, David goes on to live among men, enemies, but does not betray Israel's God. So, so David is living among enemies, but he does not betray Israel's God. Saul is the very opposite. Saul is living among the Israelites and betraying the Israelites' God and serving himself as his own God. And so, um, you know, that just this whole context, David going to live among the enemies and yet being faithful to God is something that we should stop and think about. We can't be naive. The church has enemies and the church has enemies that um, are within the church, right? The church has enemies. And so this, this confusion that we're under with Saul, okay, he's, he's in Israel, but he's wicked. And here's David living in the midst of his enemies, but he's serving God. And, um, you know, we face the same sort of things. We have friends that are outside the church. And yet we have enemies that are within the church. Um, we have enemies that are in Israel. And um, we can't be naive about this. It's, it's, um, it's so often that we can think that the, we can be, be naive about what the church is and think that there is no tares among the wheat, right? And so, so as soon as we make any critical analysis of the church, people will say, well, why, why would you come against the church? You know, why would you say anything neg- negative against the PCA? Right? It's the church. Well, because there's always tares among the wheat. Right? There are always enemies within and friends, friends without. Right? And so, uh, denominationally, we can become very uh, naive denominationally and think that everything's... If we were Southern Baptists, it would be the Southern Baptist Church, right? Nothing wrong could... Nothing bad could be in the Southern Baptists, and we, we should... Uh, um, and, and yet, uh, God never tells us to, to uh, stop exercising our discernment. And God doesn't tell us that the church is, is an unmixed, pure thing this side of glory, right? One day it will be, but for now there are wolves that must be dealt with. Now, um, Saul is not dealing um, with, uh, Saul is the wolf, and here's David cast out of Israel, cast out of the church in a sense, and yet is still doing the work of God in that. This is just something to think about. It's, it's um, it, we, we, uh, it, we can't be naive about the purity of the church. Um, you become yes men or you just become party politicians when, when you do that. But we want to be on the Lord's side, right? We want to be on the Lord's side. Some applications from this passage here. David, um, David, notice at the first verse, then David said to himself, but literally in the Hebrew, it's David said to his heart, David said to his heart, now I will perish. Do you have an inner dialogue in your life? Who doesn't, right? How can you not have an inner dialogue going on? If you don't have an inner dialogue going on, then maybe you don't have a thought in your head. But I think we all have 
this inner dialogue going on with ourself. And, and it's not, it's not um, you know, you have the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. You have a wicked heart deceiving you, right? You have a, you have a, you, and, and then you have, um, you have the spirit, right? Informing and, and guiding your thoughts. And so we have this inner dialogue going on. And do you ever find that it's filled? Do you ever find that your inner dialogue is trying to convince you of lies? Convince you of what is not true? Of course, right? Of course. You're, you're plotting revenge in your thoughts often, right? And that's the lies of the devil, right? And we have this inner dialogue going, and we have to be willing to change that dialogue, Right, you have to be well. I mean, it's strange, but you have to like verbally almost say to yourself, "Stop thinking this way. Stop lying to yourself, and change the dialogue." And then, what do you have to? What has to enter in? What has to enter in is godliness and scripture and truth. Right, our thoughts then have to be guided. Change so so change the dialogue. Some of us are not in the habit of ever changing the dialogue. We don't feel convicted about inward sins. We only are convicted about outward shows. But the fact of the matter is, is the predominance of our sin against God is in our thoughts. Right? The, 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 uh, the greatest portion is in our thoughts. And, and I think part of that is learning how to manipulate yourself. By preaching the gospel, by memorizing the word of God, by allowing your mind to settle on things that are true rather than the lies. And it's also to pray. It's obviously to pray. Um, Philippians 4.8, you know, tells us to set our minds on, you know, what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good repute. If there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think, settle on those things, and shut down those ridiculous thoughts that you have. David, David perhaps should have done this. Now I will perish. Well, trust God. What has God said he would do for you? What promises had he made to, to David? That this was the man that would be king of Israel. He's already been anointed. Right? There were truths that God had given him that he should have thought about at that time to shut down these faithless thoughts. Um, Spurgeon tells a story about a cholera epidemic that he had to deal with. And, and um, you know, praise the Lord for modern medicine. Um, I haven't had to go to plague hospitals uh, that would be a test of my faith. Um, to go to hospitals is a test of my faith at times, but to go to plague, plague villages set up side, set up outside the camp. But this is what Spurgeon was dealing with, and he <clears throat> he was doing visit after visit of the dying, and and then he got nervous about it, and he thought, if I do this anymore, I'm going to catch, I'm going to catch it, and I'm going to die. And he was walking home on, on, on a big road, and he saw a sign in a shoemaker's window, and it said, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is thy refuge, uh, even the Most High, thy habitation, 
There shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. And of course, you know that's Psalm 91, verses 9 through 10. And he stopped. It was at that point that he was able to change the, what he was preaching to himself. Right? He trusted the Lord and he said, okay, God will protect me. And he went on with his visiting. And uh, he didn't die. Um, he went on. Now, um, he, he could have died. Um, he could have died, and that would have been the Lord's prerogative. And many pastors who did uh, visit those with the plague or with cholera or for various illnesses did die in that service. But what glory would there be in dying in that way, being faithful to God and faithful to your calling, even to the point of death? And, uh, and yet here, you just you know Spurgeon's hesitation. You know how... Um, you begin preaching falsehoods to yourself, and you have to turn them away by the word of God. And so perhaps David should have said other things to his heart at this point rather than, um, than what he said. Um, <clears throat> what God starts, he often finishes much later through unlikely means. Right? We pray for something, we may never see its results, and it may even be that our prayers are, are, you know, become the will of the Lord after we're long out of a situation. But think, think um, God takes Israel to Egypt for 400 years on the way to the promised land. David, uh, David is to be king, and think about what God is doing. He's, he's using David now to finish Joshua's unfinished job. Joshua, right, to take the land for Israel. And so God is doing this through these strange circumstances and strange means. Think of the times you've prayed for a long, long time, and God has seemingly done the opposite, only then to surprise you with, um, with a resolution, with an answer, with something. God used all kinds of, of different um, different situations and changes in the path in order to bring about his will. Uh, David may think all is ending, but here is God using him to finish something that he started through Joshua, right? I mean, David may, he's despairing. Saul's going to kill me. Um, he's living among his enemies. He's, he's only protected because he's deceiving the king of Ach- King Achish. Um, <clears throat> The um, uh, I'm thinking of uh, two pastors that I spoke to this week, um, two PCA pastors who are in situations where they're trying to to turn around a church, where they're trying to um, uh, bring health to a church that for for two churches that for a long time have been. Um, neglected, have been uh, not practicing discipline, who, that, you know, it's, there just hasn't been uh, spiritual health. And it's very painful work, right? They're both, a, a, you know, less than two years in. And it's very painful work, and they're building relationships only to have people attack and um, abandon and turn on them. And, uh, you know, what they're feeling is that God is destroying this place. 
the wheels are coming off, and God is judging this church. God is judging me. God is judging the elders. God is judging, um, you know, what is going on here, and, and that's how they're feeling. And, and I imagine that David, David is feeling that same way. You know, Saul's going to annihilate me now, and yet here David is actually building Israel as that's going on. Um, he doesn't, you know, God doesn't really care that David is suffering. He's going to use him, right? He doesn't care if it it hurts David. Um, you know, he doesn't care in these situations, these two men that I spoke to, these PCA pastors, he doesn't care if what's going on hurts those pastors. It's likely that that work is is a, is one layer of the onion, right? It's it's part of that, that pastor's discipline. Um, but... You know, the pursuit of good things, the pursuit of God, the pursuit of godliness leads to persecution. And why do we ever think that there's, we, all, we still always think that the Christian life is supposed to be easy. And yet Jesus said, pick up your cross, right? Pick up your cross and follow me, right? And so, so that that's what's going on with David here. He may be despairing, and yet God has placed him in the midst of his enemies to do work that in the end is going to benefit Israel, right? To have these cities, to have these cities conquered, to, um, to have Gath on their side is only going to be beneficial to the people of Israel. And so though David may be thinking, okay, this is the end of things, the wheels are falling off, it's actually not what's happening. God is simply just enacting his will. And it's to his praise and his uh, glory. And so, have long vision for things. Have a long vision for the salvation of your children, right? Have a long vision for the, the life and health of, of a church. For your own, your own struggle with, with habitual sin, right? Um, have in relationships, right? Have a long vision for these things, and God, and and don't forget that God is at work through them. And so, as I thought about David here, that was an encouragement to me. He's in wilderness. He's among his enemies. He's being challenged by Israel, and yet God is still doing His work. It's glorious. It's encouraging. Any other applications that you're chewing on as you sit there? I was encouraged by the way that you shared applications the last time we looked at these passages. Anything that you're, you see in this passage that encourages you or questions you might have? little interaction tonight. It sounds like what? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's just pulling his leg, right? Deceiving. It could be. I mean, that's what we would expect from, from King Saul.
to mention that I forgot to but I, I mentioned Goliath but I f- forgot to mention that Goliath was from Gath yeah We definitely see that God is faithful to David and is protecting him in extraordinary circumstances. That's exactly right. God is protecting his anointed one, even while he's rejecting Saul. And even while he's taking his anointed one through the wilderness, right? Just as Jesus began his ministry by the Spirit bringing him out to be tempted in the desert, here is is David in these circumstances being... Um, taken out to be uh, tested, tested among his enemies. Anything else? Good thoughts. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You see God not leaving David, David hanging on, but the greater the greater David Jesus. He didn't really hang on, he always opposition in his heart and said, We can look at it from a different perspective. Yes. And that's helpful. I mean David is David is as good as dead. And yet God God raises him up after this point. I mean, and that Perhaps that's um, 
Perhaps that's what uh, going to Egypt and being among your enemies is uh, partially supposed to symbolize is, is that death and um, the resurrection that follows. And certainly that's what happens with David. And this may be the, this point with the Philistines. You can't imagine a, a, a part of David's life where he feels more removed from Israel, more removed from the worship of God. He, he's among... He's among the unclean. Um, last thing, I'll just say this. Preach, uh, examine your inner dialogue this week. Right? Examine the way you dialogue with yourself. Examine those words. And every time you lie to yourself, slap yourself in the face. No. Preach the gospel. Stop and think of something that's true. And so find the scriptures that encourage your heart. Find the scriptures that encourage you in your situation. Memorize those. And when those lies start to come in, preach the word to yourself um, through it. But, but really take the time to do this. And um, I, uh, th- th- I think this is just part of self-examination. We're just more focused on outward sins rather than inward and this is a way to begin um, that process of examining ourselves in that. And you'll find, you'll find peace in the Word of God. Um, it, it will help you. It will stifle those thoughts. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that the dialogue in our hearts when we speak to ourselves, Father, that we would speak truth. Lord, I pray that your Word would, that we would dwell upon it richly that uh, we would take thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. And Lord, I pray that uh, the promises that you've given to us would be the, the food that uh, our thoughts feed upon this week. That we would stop these cycles of, of self-pity and these cycles of despair and cycles of worry and rather have cycles of meditation on your word. Lord, I pray that that would help us and that our hearts would be encouraged this week. Father, we, we uh, thank you that when circumstances seem so dire, you are still at work. Lord, when, when things seem, when we're, we're despairing of, of you hearing our prayers, when, when circumstances don't seem as if they are resolvable, that, that you are still sovereign, that you are still working. So help us to wait upon you. Help us to wait and to rest in your sovereign will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.